Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, would you please? Hope you've got your Bibles with you today. 1 John chapter 2, we head there again. This has been a powerful, a powerful study. I hope you've sensed the power of God's Word in your life as we study together through these wonderful passages found in, in 1 John. We're First John chapter 2 this morning, as you go there, let me tell you about a, a farmer who one day who grabbed a shotgun to, to shoot at a flock of pesky crows. Unfortunately, he didn't see that his, his uh, sociable parrot had joined the crows. Fired a few shots out into the field where the crows were and he walked out to the fallen birds and was just a little bit surprised to see his parrot there, badly ruffled, broken wing, but still alive. Picked up the bird, carried it back to the house. The farmer's children <laughs> want to know, Dad, what happened? The farmer simply replied, Bad company. Bad company. The Bible often warns us about keeping bad company. Proverbs 13.20 says that the companion of fools will suffer harm. That sounds a lot like what parents tell their children, isn't it? That's the same thing parents tell their children. Like 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company ruins good morals. But it's not just a problem for youngsters. It's not just a problem for our children choosing their friends. Satan loves to offer people, young and not so young, opportunities that will take them off track and and pull them away, keep them from living lives in obedience to God and His Word. So God has given us passages like the one that's before us this morning, in 1 John chapter 2. I noted last Sunday as we came to verses 12 through 14 last week that the repetition there was meant for our encouragement. Often repetition comes with a warning and it's repeated because it's important that we hear the warning. Last week we were encouraged and the repetition was for our encouragement. And that's always a good thing, isn't it? To be encouraged. But I also told you that those verses were preparing us for the verses that we're going to look at this morning. There was a building up of an encouragement of those who are in the Word of God. You are growing and you are strengthened. And so we know where we're supposed to be. We know where we need to be. We need to be in the Word and the Word needs to be in us. We need to stay in the Word and the Word needs to stay in us. It will change our lives and strengthen us for the for the temptations that we will face. And we see them in this next passage. We're looking at verses 15 through 17 this morning. And so I want you to turn there, put your finger on verse 15, and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version. Let's look at verses 15 through 17 this morning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Did you see the command in verse 15? Note the command in verse 15. This is the main point of our text this morning. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, what does John mean when he says that we're not to love the world? That's kind of important. That's an important statement. It's kind of a powerful statement. And we need to be thoughtful about what he's saying here. The Greek word translated world in our text is the world is the word cosmos. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the word cosmos. And cosmos has three basic meanings. One meaning for cosmos is the earth. The physical planet, God's creation, water, trees, mountains, rivers, it's everything in in the beauty of creation that we enjoy. So is John saying that we are not to enjoy the creation that God made? That can't be what he means because throughout Scripture we're told that we, uh, we are to enjoy Scripture. In fact, we're reminded of things like this when we come to a passage like Psalm 19, verse 1 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. You would agree with this, wouldn't you? That you go out into nature on a beautiful day, and you see God. If you're, if you're a person of faith who, who knows the Word of God, you look around and you say, I don't, I don't know how an unbeliever can't see God in this. The heaven declares that God is. Makes much of God. God's creation pronounces and proclaims Him as God. And we are to enjoy His creation just the opposite of what we might think here. We're not supposed to hate the, the world as in the world and creation. And things like, no, we're supposed to enjoy those things. The Bible doesn't teach us to, to not love and enjoy God's creation. Just the opposite is true. God created the world and He called it good. It was good. And He created all things for our enjoyment and for His glory. And those two things should go together. Remember that. If you want to enjoy something, remember, does, is this going to bring glory to God in my enjoyment of this? Or is this going to detract from God's glory? And that might help you in deciding whether or not you should pursue something for your enjoyment or not. In fact, God wants us to enjoy creation. He wants us to enjoy what He has created, but He wants us to enjoy it for His glory and for our good. And God has given us creation for our good. And we do enjoy creation, don't we? Most of the time. Unless it's, you know, 10 degrees below zero and a blizzard. But those days make us enjoy creation all the more when the, when the days like this one comes. Yes? When you stepped outside your door this morning, there was no blizzard. Nice, warm sunshine. Another meaning of the word cosmos is when it's used in relation to mankind. It's, it's used in relation to people. And what we learn from how the same word is used in a verse like John 3.16 is that God loves people. For God so loved the world, as in people. God so loved people that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves people. That word cosmos can be used that way, talking about people. Certainly, believers in Jesus Christ are to love people because God loves people. 
In fact, God wants us to love people so much that we will share the gospel with them, the good news, and tell them about Jesus Christ, the one who came and suffered and died to save sinners. God loves people, and we're supposed to love people. We're not supposed to hate people. Cosmos can also mean the system of evil that exists in the world. And this is the third meaning of the word cosmos where John is going here. That, that's the third meaning, and that's, the way, that's where he's going. We often use world uh, when we think of systems, uh, such as, like in the English language, when referring to systems, we might say the world of, and some of you are saying that this week, the world of baseball, right? And you're so happy the baseball season started, or, or the world that we seem like we just can't shake, the world of politics. And we can see that that's what he's getting at by the context here. There's a clue in verse 16 because John names three things, three types of things that are a part of the system of evil in the world in which we live, which followers of Christ are not to love. That's what he's talking about here. The system of evil, the system of sin, the things that, that would detract and pull us away from our love for God. These are the things we're not to love. He names three types of things here. You see it. In verse 16, he especially names the desires of the flesh. That's things that we lust after, that we sinfully desire. They might, they might be good things in and of themselves, but we, we sinfully desire them. We desire them for sinful purposes or, or for sinful motives. Or the desires of the eyes. See it here in verse 16? The desires of the eyes. Things that we look at. Things that we see and long for with sinful desire. Things that we see that may not be wrong in and of themselves, again, but, but we look at them with covetousness or longing desire that's sinful. And then that pride of life. Pride of life. What is that? Well, that's sinful pursuit of possessions and accomplishments. The sinful pursuit of more and more. It's not, it's not wrong to necessarily have more, and it's not wrong to necessarily accomplish things, but... It's sinful to be prideful over those things, to be in pursuit of those things sinfully. And so John is not saying that we are not to enjoy the creation that God has given to us for our enjoyment, for our good. He is not saying that we are not to love people. God loves people and God's people are to love people. What John is saying to believers is that they are not to love the evil system in the world. We are not to love Sin. We are not to hate the, the people in the world, but we're to hate sin. We're to be done with sin. We're to be putting sin off and from our lives. The, the instruction that John has for us is this. Do not love sin. Be careful. Do not pursue sin. And the passage before us this morning is an argument or it's an incentive for why we should not love the world or the things in the world. Why we should not love sin. It's an argument for why we should be putting off sin. So we need to hear this carefully. This is an argument for why we should choose our companions. Why we should choose the things we love carefully. So John says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Why, John? Why do you say that? Because also in verse 15, look at it again. He says, if anyone 
loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you are caught up in the pursuit of sin, while at the same time saying, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, something's not right. Something's not right. Something's not straight in your life. According to what we've been seeing here in 1 John, what, what we love reveals who we are. What we love reveals who we are. It would be helpful for us, I think, to understand that this phrase in verse 15, if you look at verse 15 again, you see this phrase, love of the Father. I think it would be helpful for us to understand that. Maybe better stated would be to say, love toward the Father, or love for the Father, or love for God. We come to a text like this, and the question this text asks us is, do you love God? Is your love of God far, far, out, far outpaced your love of anything or anyone else? Do you love God? Now, at the same time, this love for God, that language, love for God, is certainly of the Father. When we think of this passage the way it's written, love of the Father is certainly the love that we have for God is of the Father. We ought not lose sight of this. Don't forget this. That you didn't just decide one day to love God. God drew you to Himself and began to give you a love for Him. We don't, we don't turn on a dime and, and one, one day we're enemies, which the Bible declares we are when we're separated from Christ because we don't believe in Him. And just all of a sudden, I'm going to love God. And you know what? Now I see His Son and now I'm going to believe in Him. God begins to draw us to Himself and begins to open our eyes and see. And that's why we pray for people who need Christ, that their eyes will be open to see and hear and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would draw them to Himself. And as we proclaim the truth, that they would hear it because God is opening their ears so that they might believe. And then God gives us love and He begins to grow love in us. And so that in that, in that sense of the idea, love of the Father, it comes from the Father, our love comes from the Father. And then it grows in us and we love God more and more. The more we see Him in His Word and the more we take steps of obedience to, to be obedient to Him, the more we love Him. Love for God doesn't come naturally. It's a gift from God for which we ought to be eternally grateful. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and begins to grow a love for God in us when Jesus saves us, when we confess our sins and believe in Jesus. And the reason you're not to love the sin offered to you by the evil one in this world is that love for those sinful things, and this is so important that we remember this, love for sinful things, the pursuit of sin, will supplant or push out of your life a love for God. Make love for God impossible. You either love God or you love the world is what this passage is saying to us today. You love righteousness or you love sin. You cannot love sin and love God. You cannot. A growing love for God is going to expel a love for sin. A love for the world and sin. But the opposite is also true. A love for the world and sin. And again, remember what we're talking about when we talk about world. We're not talking about people we're to love people, but we're to, 
we're to put off the sinful things of this world, the sinful things of the sinful system of this world. A love for the world and sin will expel a love for God, will displace a love for God. Now, how can that be? How can a love for the world and the things of the world, how can a love of sin mean that we don't love God? James 4.4 says it like this. It starts with very strong language. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world, and again, we could say here, friendship with a system of evil, the love of sin, is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, or we could say again here, a friend of sin, one who pursues sin, makes himself an enemy of God. God will not honor, God will not bless us if we pursue sin. He will not honor and bless us if we pursue sinful things that that are readily available to us in the world in which we live. If you pursue sin, you make yourself an enemy of God. This can be seen in Matthew 6.24 where we're reminded that no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He goes on to say you cannot serve God and money. In other words, you cannot say, I love God, I love God. Oh yeah, you, you look at my life, I love God. I'm serving Him. You cannot say that if you allow your life to be controlled by the pursuit of more and more and more sin in this world of things that lead to sin. Something's out of kilter if you say that. And look again here at 1 John 2.16 where John supports his argument that there is no room in your life for a love for sin and a, and a love for God. They cannot coexist Look at verse 16 again. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father. God doesn't create this in you. This is not from God, but it's from the world. The things of the world, the things of the evil system, the sin offered to you by Satan. That's who we're talking about when we talk about the evil one. And this passage talks about the evil one. The sin offered to you by Satan, those are not from God. There's a similar statement later in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God. That's those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, believers in Jesus. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so John says, Don't love the world. Don't love the evil system. Do not love sin. If you do, love can't reside there for God in your life. What kinds of things push into our lives and expel a love for God? What does this system of evil look like? Are these the dark and dangerous and And wicked things in this world that repulse the average person? Yes. Yes, they include those things. Yes, they're a part of the system of evil in this world. But John says in verse 16 that it includes the things that aren't so repulsive. 
This is where we need to be on guard. It includes things that we would say, I'm not necessarily repulsed by that. In fact, it doesn't look so bad. It includes things, look at it, in verse 16, such as the desires of the flesh. I absolutely love ice cream. But it would kill me if I ate it nonstop. For one thing, it doesn't like me very much. I love it, it doesn't like me. And so I have to be very selective about the kind of ice cream that I eat. But when I find the kind that agrees with me, get out of the way. And the guys know that I can make several trips a a week to the grocery store for, for more ice cream when it's 100 degrees outside. But it catches up with me. And that's nothing, we laugh about things like that, right? But that's nothing to, to the things that, that really could beset our, our lives spiritually. The, the desires of the flesh. We might say, well, this thing is not so bad, but it, if it leads us away from loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, this thing needs to be paid attention to and set aside the desires of the eyes. Things look good. Well, that looks, that looks good. I, I kind of like that. Like every new car I see. You name it, right? The things that we see and, and things that could lead us down deep and dark roads. The pride of life, success, accomplishment, possessions. Those things aren't so repulsive, are they? But those kinds of things can push out of your life a love for God. It is so easy to be like the little boy who, whose mom came into the kitchen and he's standing by the counter with his arm deep in the cookie jar. And she's like, what are you doing? Uh, he says, I'm fighting temptation. If you think you can put your hand in the cookie jar and not eat a cookie... You're fooling yourself. If you get close enough to sin, you will likely yield to the the sinful desires. If you yield to the sins which you see all around you in the world, love for God will be expelled. If you take great pride in life and the many things you possess, if you allow yourself to be overcome by a pursuit of more instead of seeking to be controlled by the Spirit of God, love for God will be displaced. So to be guarded from the temptation of sin, you must, as Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's a passage that speaks to the deliberate nature of the follower of Christ who takes up the Word of God and, and thinks on the things and sets his minds on, his affections on, his passions on, as he looks around at the things in this world that don't look so bad, that could, that could lead him from a love for God to properly order those things in his life and so that he is all, all out for God in this life, living all out, living all in for for God's glory. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It was said of a, of a fellow one time, well, he is so heavenly minded that he is no earthly good. And that's not what we're talking about. We live here on earth. We live in this world. We live in this community where people need Christ. 
But we're to be so heavenly minded that we are earthly good. That we are good for the people around us who need Christ. That we are good neighbors who deliver the good news of Jesus Christ with the way that we speak and act and live and do business. And the way that we do our schoolwork and the way that we do our work. You must set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You need to get into God's Word. Again, just where we were last week. There's great encouragement for those who are, who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are students of the Word, who are readers of the Scripture, who take up the Word of truth and, and put it in their lives so that it stays there and they stay in the Word. That's the person who will set their minds on things that are above. They have the equipment, the equipment of God's Word at work in them by the Holy Spirit of God taking up the Word and using it to help them set their affections and their minds and the things that they desire on, on the things that are above so that God gets the glory with their life. Pursue the things that bring God glory and that God intends for your present joy and eternal good. There are things that God intends for our present joy. There is present joy. We ought not be guilty of making people think that Christians are the last people on earth that are allowed to have fun. You're allowed to have fun. You're allowed to enjoy this creation that God has given. You're allowed to enjoy life. God wants you to for His glory. Making much of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good and wholesome and God-honoring and God-glorifying fun. If you do, the love of God will grow in you. If you enjoy what God has given you for His glory, the love of God will grow and flourish in you. If you hide God's Word in your heart and you train your heart to think on the things that are above where where God is glorified, your life will glorify Him here on earth. And you will learn to say no to temptation, to sin. In fact, that's where John goes in verse 17. There's more incentive here to not love sin. Look at verse 17 again. It says, The world is passing away along with its desires. Here are two more reasons for not loving the things of the world that lead to sin. They are passing away. Number one, they're passing away. Those things of the world that tempt you to sin, the things that compete to consume you and your energy, the things that would draw you away from serving and loving God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, the pride of possessions, they're all dying. They're all passing away. Those things that you long for on this earth that God has given us just for a season to enjoy, they are not eternal. And not only are those things not going to last, but if you pursue them, neither will you last. In other words, if you pursue these things that tempt you to sin, those things that are passing away, if you love those things instead of loving God, you also will pass away. That's the argument of 1 John. That's what we've been hearing again and again. You cannot say, I love God, when your life says, you love sin. John is saying, if you love sin, you do not love God. Please hear this. He is not saying, if you sin. Remember, we hear him say here, if anyone sins. We have God's love 
and compassion and forgiveness. We deal with sin, don't we? We deal with temptation. Sometimes we give in to temptation and we do sin. We need to get right with God. We need to confess that as sin and thank God for His forgiveness and turn once again from sin. But what we're talking about here, what John is talking about, are those who pursue sin and will not turn from it and will not ask for God's help to, to shun it from their lives and to kill it in their lives. John also says in verse 17 that whoever does the will of God abides forever. We can rejoice in that. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. The one who loves God lives. There is life for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for their salvation, their forgiveness of sins. And there is daily life. There is daily bread for those who put themselves into the Word of God, knowing the Holy Spirit has taken up residence so that they have the equipping of God to serve Him faithfully day by day, doing constant battle with temptation and sin in this life in which we live here on earth. And we do it for God's glory. Synonymous with loving God is also doing God's will. Those who love God will show a life of growing obedience. I'm not talking about we put on a show. I'm talking about the evidence that overflows. Jesus says it in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love God, you will be drawn to be obedient to God. You will want to honor God with your life. You will be drawn to being pursuing obedience to God. You will fail at times because you're still in human flesh. And you don't always rely upon and depend upon the strength of the Holy Spirit and His Word. Sometimes you get sidetracked like I do. We all fight this. And yet, if you love God, you will pursue obedience to His commandments. You will love His Word. It will not be burdensome, says, says John. It will not be burdensome. That's in 1 John 5.3, for this is the love of God that, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. You're going to love God's Word if you're His child. You may not always find it easy to obey, but you're going to love His Word and you're going to say, yeah, that's me. I see my problem right there. Oh, Lord, help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so John says that if you love God, you will also love and keep God's commands. If you love God, you will love what God loves. You will pursue what God longs for you to pursue. You will not pursue the sinful, godless systems of this world. You will pursue the God-honoring, righteous things of God. You will pursue obedience. But if you say... You love God. If you say, I believe in Jesus, I love God, and you do not love the things of God, and you do not love the commands of God's Word, you not, do not love the Scriptures, and you do not seek to obey Him, you do not seek to have your life conformed by the Word, you don't put yourself in the Word on a regular basis, and you're not putting the Word into you, and you're not staying there, and it's not staying in you, and you just throw off all restraint of God's Word. If you're pursuing sin while saying you love God, you're not being honest. And you need to be honest with yourself. 
That's what John is saying. That's what John is drawing our attention to. He wants people to believe in Jesus and be saved. And so this is an attention getter, isn't it? It's kind of a resting for us who have been in the church maybe all of our lives. And yet, we ought not assume that just because we've been in the church all of our lives, I'm a believer. What does the evidence of your life say to you? And so the command and the warning to us all is do not love sin. And the reasons given argue that the people who love sin do not truly love God. And if you love the worldly system of sin instead of God, you will perish with the world. God is calling us today to be people who believe in Jesus Christ. People who actively turn away from the things of this world that lead us to sin. And through what God moved John to write, he is calling to us today to love God and enjoy eternal life. You ever stop to think that your eternal life in Christ begins the day you put your trust in Him? Isn't that wonderful? Yes, you're still in a human body, and as you get older, you're, you're realizing that. And your physical body may die before the Lord returns. He may call you home from this earth, from your earthly tent. And yet, your eternal life began the day you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And God calls to us through the, through the pen of John in these words in 1 John to put our trust in Jesus and in Him alone for our salvation. To love God heart and soul and mind and strength to passionately pursue obedience to God's word that we might bring him great glory and that we might know the joy that he is giving us in this eternal life of ours, this eternal spiritual life of ours in Christ. I think it would be helpful for us to remember Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 where he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a soldier in warfare against sin, your sin, your temptation of sin. Don't get involved in civilian pursuit. Don't get sidelined, sidetracked by the sinful system of the world. Don't get sidelined and sidetracked by what Satan's offering you that looks so enticing, but but will soften and displace and push aside your love for God. May it be the desire of each of us to please God with our lives, with this life that He has given us, to please Him every day of our lives and love Him with our heart and with our soul and with our mind and with our strength and be learning to love what God loves. It is in that pursuit we find great joy this side of heaven. And we bring great glory and honor to God in the lives that He has given us to live here.